0: Welcome to another edition of the How to Survive ICU for anaesthetists podcast. Uh, this is the COVID edition and uh, I'm joined here by Jenny Wu, one of the ICU consultants and Ben Woods, one of the senior intensive care nurses. Uh, my name's Ollie, I'm one of the anaesthetists and I'll be hosting. So we'll start by um, Jenny and Ben, if you don't mind introducing yourselves, that'll be great. Uh,
1: my name is Jenny Wu, I'm one of the ICU staff specialists. Um, I've been a trainee at St George, and I've came back as a consultant in the last couple of years.
2: My name's Ben Wood. I'm a clinical nurse consultant in the ICU at St George, and I've been here for too long, almost 20 years now. So as mentioned, this is going to be the
0: COVID edition. So we're broadly just going to speak about um, what us as anaesthetists might be looking for in COVID patients when we're seeing them on the wards. Um, how their journey goes, uh, both on the wards and if they're admitted to ICU, and what their recovery looks like if hopefully they do recover. So we'll start off um, with you Jenny maybe, if you don't mind. Um, So the first question would be, um, so if I call you as the ICU outreach person or registrar um, about a COVID patient, um, what would you like to know from me? What do I need to find out before I call you? Uh,
1: yep, so I'd like to you know a little bit about um, where the patient is, the age of the patient, usual stuff like comorbidity. In particular, specific to COVID, I'd like to you know when were they first diagnosed, so they swab positive, how many days they've been in hospital, and what's the rough trajectory in the last 24, 48 hours, um, the current oxygen requirement, and whether that's increasing, reducing, um, in the last 24 hours.
0: And then I suppose um, from memory of my ICU time, um, sort of the patient's background function, uh, like in any ICU history, is probably quite important still. Is is that right? Okay. Absolutely. What thresholds do we have for admitting them to ICU?
1: So at the moment, the wards are not taking high flow nasal prongs. Um, which means that after four liters, they start get uh, of nasal prongs. They get a little bit anxious. Um, in theory, they can push up to um, five to six liters, but realistically, by the time they get to six liters of nasal prongs, I want them in ICU. Um, so the trajectory is also important. So if they have a pretty rapid deterioration, which is what we're seeing with the COVID patients. So for example, if they've gone from room air to needing you know, five liters within a few hours, and they're probably better off in ICU. Yep. Um, so I guess the kind of tangible cut off at this point is high flow nasal prongs from the ward.
0: So it sounds like four liters of uh, oxygen via nasal prongs um, requiring more than that mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. or if they're deteriorating really quickly, then that would um, be our thresholds. Cool. Nice one. Ben, uh, what, what's the sort of um, pattern of deterioration you're seeing both on the wards and in ICU?
2: Yeah, so generally you you will see their x-ray generally looks pretty bad from the very get-go. But clinically they can still manage quite okay with a terrible x-ray. When they do start to deteriorate in ICU, you know, their oxygen requirements um, start going up quite quickly. Their work of breathing um, really ramps up quite quickly. They're not uncommon to have respiratory rates of 40 plus. Um, and just extreme fatigue um, and you can see them tiring quite quickly so other signs I guess their x-ray does end up getting a little bit worse and inflammatory markers will go off um, but at that point when we're seeing the oxygen um, ramping up that's our cue to step it up okay. to the next level
0: Okay, thanks um, and Jenny you mentioned that they can deteriorate quite quickly um, are there any patients that just insidiously um, Worsening on the ward or is it more commonly they hang in there for a while and then boom, decompensate?
1: I think the second scenario is probably mm. what we more yeah. really commonly mm. see, and we tend to see it around day you know, eight to mm. around ten of the initial diagnosis. Yeah. Um. So that's the the time frame that I tend to worry a little bit more about them as well.
0: Okay, so maybe a peak at day eight or nine. So, there's a few treatments around these days. Um, So, I was working in the UK last year and we didn't have any of them. So, I actually don't understand them uh, that well. Um, Are you okay to quickly run a few through a few of them, please, Jenny.
1: Yeah, so I think there's the pharmacological and the non-pharmacological treatments. So instead of, in terms of the farm one, I, I guess the kind of cocktail that we tend to give the patients at the moment is dexamethasone, yep. um, remdesivir, if they were started before they were ventilated. Um, So they usually come from the wall and one of the monoclonal antibodies. So at St. George, at the moment, we're using baronizumib, which I can't really pronounce. Lovely
0: pronunciation, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, because we actually ran, ran out of toconizumab um so the maps are actually changing because there's a stockpile sort of shortage within new south wales as you know they're being used up um so even though that's what we're using right now that might not be the case in a few weeks time um but those are the three main ones in terms of the icu um patients and most of them will arrive from the ward with those medications already instigated um
0: So essentially if they're sick enough for ICU, invariably they'll be on those three treatments, is that fair to say? Correct.
1: I guess the only exception is if this suddenly bang, got really sick from nothing to ventilation, then there's actually no role for remdesivir. So occasionally that gets omitted, but most of the time you see all three. And
0: I guess we can get guidance from you as the consultant body and, and senior nurses as to what we should prescribe as the... Is the uh, anaesthetist helping out?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And we actually have a daily um, COVID huddle between ourselves, respiratory and ID to discuss all of these drugs. Um, So that's kind of the main pharmacological treatment. Um, If they're quite bad, we put them on kind of empirical IV antibiotics cover like any pneumonia patient. Um, So a significant portion of ventilator patient will be on IV antibiotics regardless. Um, And then I guess the main kind of non-pharmacological treatment that's really become big mm-hmm. in the last year with, it, with this wave is proning. Um, so proning for non-ventilated patient and for ventilated patient. I cannot emphasize enough how much that's bailed patients out of ventilation actually.
0: it's so something to bear in mind when we're seeing them on the ward then to, to mm-hmm. push them with the self-proning. Unfortunately, a few of these patients do need intubation uh, no matter how hard we try. Um, Ben, I understand you've looked after probably quite a few now. Yeah. Um, What's the the course for these patients after they're intubated generally?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on the patient and how sick they are. But what we do tend to see after intubation is an initial period where they do decompensate a little bit. Um, Often they're requiring high amounts of PEEP um, and aiming for tidal volumes, roughly four to six mils per kilo. From there, you know, it's not uncommon for them to have a higher sputum load depending on on how they're going. Um, And basically, we just go from there um, as per patient.
0: So, we've mentioned proning. Um, What's so obviously, we ask the patients who are awake to self prone themselves essentially as much as they can tolerate. What's the threshold for proning an intubated patient in ICU?
2: Yeah, so at the moment, we sort of look at our PF ratio, anything less than 150 um, and a higher FO2, a rising FO2 is our indicator to um, prone. So, you know, at the moment, we're proning people quite proactively at around an FO2 of 50%. We will actively prone them for a good 16 hours um, and see how they go. And sometimes they receive multiple sessions of that
0: yeah my experience um last year was that they really responded to that uh, in terms of uh, their pf ratios is that uh, our experience over here now yeah definitely
2: we're definitely seeing their oxygen requirements dropping significantly when they're in that position Uh, it certainly does help Um, their compliance generally does improve over over days um yeah it it does tend to work quite well
0: bit challenging for central lines though (laughs) So
1: um, definitely need to get them in before we prone them. Yes,
0: indeed, yes. indeed. So, um, and how does it work practically, Ben? So you mentioned 16 hours a day, we like them on their front. Yeah. Um, how, what's the sort of timing in the day that we aim for and what's the logistics in the room when you're flipping them over?
2: Yeah, so it is a bit of a process to flip them over, uh, a ventilated patient over. So at the moment where we are setting up a bit of a prone team, because we are proning quite a lot every day, um, so we aim to prone the patients if they're fall proning um, in the afternoon, roughly from a three o'clock in the afternoon um, onwards and then they should be ready for unproning at about eight o'clock the next morning in time for their morning x-ray in the ward round the process of proning itself um, yeah it, it is complicated it requires a, a team of at least six people to Um, carry out the turn and at least a a doctor at the airway to um, maintain the airway. We have a set process for proning which involves quite a detailed checklist of safety things to look out for, so making sure your ET is secured. The nurses will um, proactively pad the patient up with methalex and, and prophylactic dressings to try and prevent pressure injuries. Um, Things like making sure their eye care is done and mouth care and all those sort of things are done. We're using a a turning and positioning system to to flip them over. So we basically wedge them in this system, almost like a burrito and wrap them up each side with some pillows on the chest and pelvis just to offload the um, abdomen. And then we basically um, slide above the bed, away from the vent and turn towards the ventilator and they end up hopefully nicely in the middle of the bed.
0: Yeah, I remember the burrito method well. Very effective. And that use of a checklist for it is awesome. I've not heard of that before. so yeah, yeah. It's obviously quite a relatively high-risk procedure, even though it may, may not seem so. So that's an awesome idea from you guys there. For the face, we have special pillows that we use in theatre. Is that what you're using upstairs or is it something yeah, different? Yeah,
2: so we have um, changed our face pillows over the course of this pandemic. We were using the prone foam pillows that we had but we're finding we're still getting a lot of pressure injuries from their um, ET tube around their mouth, and it was quite difficult to see the airway whilst they were in that foam. So yep. we have changed our pillows to a fluidizer pillow. Okay. Uh, it's almost like a memory foam sort of pillow where we can yeah. um, mould it to their face, so, and we're having some good um, results with that.
0: And So having done all these awesome pharmacological and non-pharmacological treatments, hopefully these patients get better um so what's the sort of number of patients that have been extubated in your unit guys our unit sorry.
1: so so far we've managed to extubate everyone um yep. we've had one tracheostomy um in terms of our ventilation number ooh, i think we're probably up to around 20 or so i would say um but not all of them have been extubated yet yeah um we haven't lost anyone who's been on events so far but yep. i'm sure as the pandemic goes that might that will change um so so far we have managed to extubate everyone awesome or decannulate them
0: and in terms of discharging these patients to the ward once you've um, made them better um, i presume the criteria are just to sort of inverse of the emission criteria, is, is that right?
1: Correct. Um, so at the moment they need to be off high flow nasal prongs. So I usually will discharge them if they need four liters or less um, for a- you know, at least 12 hours. i will prefer to see it less than four litres. Um, but I, as the pandemic goes on, I suspect that we're going to have to push the wards to take maybe 30, 30 of high flow on discharge. Yep. Um. So again, that's a fluid situation depending on how we go. Um, but you're absolutely correct. It's basically the reverse of our emission criteria when they're no longer needing high flow nasal pumps at the moment.
0: Okay, so we'll move on to the last question, which I'm probably most interested to hear about. Um. So if you could have been told one thing, say two months ago before our numbers um, picked up a bit and we had more admissions, uh, what would you like to have been told by yourself about managing COVID patients in ICU?
1: Wow, lots of face cream.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. Any particular brands?
1: <laughs> um, no, realistically, I think, um... I think look after yourself and each other. I can't emphasize how um, important it is to have a good team. Um, it is quite isolating being in COVID pot and looking after COVID patients. So I think having a good team and knowing that you know, you've got someone watching your back is very very important and gives you a lot of you know a lot of security to do what you do.
2: Yeah, for me, I, I agree. It's all about teamwork in there. It, as Jenny said, it is very isolating. It's also very disorientating being in there in the full gear for so long. Um, and, you know, t- every, all your senses are dulled, basically, in that stuff. So, for me, it's about... Just, I guess I didn't really understand how heavy it would be in terms of phys- physical, um, looking after these patients. It's it's quite an eerie experience walking in there the first time and walking around the unit and seeing every, normal saturations at 90, 89% and not even really thinking twice about it. Um, so for me, it's about, I guess it would be just, yeah, uh, Realising how heavy it would be um, in terms of moving and proning, and and just the acuity of the patients, they're very very sick. So yeah.
0: yeah. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks very much to Jenny and Ben for your time. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.